Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Good morning. Am I on? Yes. This morning we're continuing our Advent series, which... By the way, to me, it feels absolutely crazy. It feels crazy that we're continuing. It's said by every person every single year and said far too much, but it really feels like December's crept up on us. We only have two Sundays, until, including today, until our carol services on the 17th, and it is only nine days until all wrapped up and just 20 days until Christmas Day. This is ridiculous. It really has crept up on us. So last week, Simon started the Advent series. And in this series, we are approaching Advent from a slightly different angle. The, um, the, what we're trying to do, the hope of this series is no different from any other. The hope is that through this series, through doing this together... We will equip one another to prepare ourselves for the celebrations of Jesus's birth. But we're wanting to do this this year in a really practical way. And we're doing this by bringing together the sacred elements of Christmas and the secular elements of Christmas. Often we kind of divorce those two aspects of the realities of Christmas. But the truth is we live it out. We live out both the sacred and the secular. And it's easy for us to have these two Christmases, the sacred Christmas that focuses on the birth of Jesus, which, by the way, often becomes the background of our Christmas celebrations. And then the secular Christmas, which surrounds us, Christmas dinners, presents, decorations, gathering around the table, games, Santa. And at church, uh, in the past, church has been very good and preachers have been very good at putting these two realities of Christmas in a fight with one another, suggesting that the secular and the sacred are trying to win over your attention that we must not get carried away by the secularised celebrations of Christmas and focus only on the sacred. But within this series, what we're hoping to do is we're hoping to bring these two things together, the sacred and the secular, to help us to prepare for the celebrations of Christmas that we will be living out, to help us prepare for these celebrations of Jesus in the midst of the realities of Christmas. To challenge ourselves to prepare for our Christmas reality in a Christ-like way, for allowing Jesus to shine through us whilst helping us to grow in him. So over these three weeks, we are looking at three things we do in our preparations for and celebrations of Christmas. And we're looking at how actually the things that we do, these realities that we live at Christmas, they are rooted 
in the story of Jesus. And within them, within them, there are profound truths. And we're going to be looking over these few weeks at how we can reflect the person of Jesus as we go about our celebrations. So if you were here last week, Simon spoke about decorating our hearts as we go about decorating our homes. And this week, we're going to look at the tradition of gift giving at Christmas. We all know that gift giving is a central part of the realities of Christmas that we live out. In this country, gift giving is so big around Christmas time. The excitement of children as they wake up at 4am, if you're lucky as a parent, and they rush downstairs ready to open their presents from Santa. It is central to how we celebrate Christmas in this country. And now I have to be honest with you, I am not someone that loves gifts. I'm not a gift person. I don't love receiving gifts and I don't massively love giving gifts. I, I just, I'm not that bothered by gifts. But three-year-old Jake thought this of Santa. This was actually a video, so I, I filmed the TV. If you didn't hear, I'm singing, Father Christmas is really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, you know. So to be honest, I clearly was very keen about receiving my presents as a child. And I was also a very good recipient of presents. I was easy to please. This is my reaction to getting a toy car. Massive, 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 massive car. I was very excited about getting my massive toy car. As I got a little bit older, though, I started to become a little less easy to please. As a teenager, and to be honest still now, the key to my heart was a cold glass of Coke. Absolutely loved it. A cold glass of Coke. And my parents knew this. So when I was a teenager, one Christmas morning, we got up nice and early, excited to go open our presents, me and my two older sisters. And we got up and we rushed downstairs, as was tradition. The room that, we, uh, that the presents were in was locked. So we waited outside and it got unlocked. We went in. And my eldest sister goes to her stocking and sees it's f- it is full of wrapped up presents. And then my middle sister, two years older than me, went to her stocking and saw it was full of wrapped up presents. And then I very excitedly ran over to my stocking and in it was just a couple of glasses of bottled Coke. <laughs> See, if I'm honest... Right now, if, I, if Emma got me, is she here? This is a hint. 
Oh, she's gone. She's gone with a bit. If Emma got me a couple of bottles of Coke, I would be very, very satisfied at Christmas. But three-year-old... No, sorry, 12-year-old. 12-year-old Jake at this time was absolutely fuming about it. How come my sisters get these stockings full of uh, presents and I just have these Cokes? Do I not have anything to unwrap? How come my sisters get more presents than me? I'm ashamed to admit, I then went onto Google and started to work out how much it would have cost for my parents to get me these bottles of Cokes. And then started looking at my sister's presents and working out how much her, their presents would have cost. I wasn't happy about it. For me, as a 12-year-old, clearly... Presence had become both an expectation and a matter of fairness. And yes, I was clearly slightly spoiled 12-year-old boy, but actually, when I think about it and reflect on it now, my reaction to these presents reveals kind of this hidden approach that society has to gifts. Because there is this unwritten rule the value of the present that I receive must match the value of the present that I give. It's a really unhealthy approach that we often can have to gift giving. An approach where we lose these, the foundations that gift giving was built upon, that of generosity, of love, of kindness, of appreciation. Instead, it can be so easy to fall into the trap of thing swapping. Sending a link for a gift for you to buy, and at the same value, I'll send you a link of something to buy for me. Thing swapping. And not only in doing this do we lose the, the thought and the time that goes into picking a present, that you know will make someone happy, that will bring a smile on their face, but we can even put expectations onto other people that are unfair and unhealthy. You might have seen over the past couple of weeks, a video of Martin Lewis has resurfaced. And in this video, Martin talks about how we've come away from the root of gift giving. And how we can unknowingly put expectation on those around us at Christmas time to spend money that maybe they don't have. And you might not agree with everything he says here, but there are some really helpful and necessary challenges within it. And it helps set the context from my talk this morning. So we're just going to watch this three minute clip now. Christmas has become a retail festival. And it shouldn't be. Christmas should be joyous, but causes some people unhappiness, debt and worry. Now, many people feel obliged to buy gifts to others that they know they won't use with money they don't have and cause themselves stress they don't need. And I think part of the reason for this is that we have disconnected from why we give gifts. Now, gift-giving originally, anthropologically, was actually a form of social banking. Uh, take a wedding. You'd go to a wedding, 
and older people, richer people in the community would give gifts to younger people to help them start out. And as those people age, they'd then pass it back to the new younger people. You can see how it works. But with Christmas, it's a zero-sum game. I give to you, you feel obligated to give back to me at a similar value. Now, to fulfil that obligation, we do tit-for-tat giving, which means people end up with tat. <laughs> now, some people say to me, hold on, what about the gift of giving? But I have to be honest and say that can actually be selfish. And here's why. It can misprioritise people's finances and create a financial burden. So let me, I've got here. If I give a gift to you, there you go, what do you feel you need to do? <laughs> I'll take your scarf, thank you. There we go. Lovely, you give it back to me. Now, let's say I spent 20 quid on that and I'm affluent and I thought I was being generous to you. I've effectively forced you to spend 20 quid on that scarf and you might have chosen that your children need more new shoes instead. So I've misprioritised your finances by giving you a gift. So what I think, it is time for us to get off this gift-giving treadmill. I think sometimes the best gift is releasing others from the obligation of having to give to you. Let's work together to ban unnecessary Christmas presents. Not... <laughs> Not for your spouse. Not for smiling children under the tree, but that ever-expanding list of friends and cousins and teachers that we feel forced to buy. Do right now, if you're watching, use me as your excuse. Agree to make a prenup, a pre-Christmas no unnecessary present pact. <laughs> or at least do a secret Santa and cap it at a fiver or ten, or even better, say, you know what, I'm not going to give that extended lift gifts. I'm going to give to charity instead. Less pressure. Less pressure, less cost, less debt, and I hope more joy. And the reaction here shows you might feel embarrassed to raise it, but most people feel the same way. Interesting. Interesting. I I wanted to show that, that video to kind of, kind of give a bit of context before we go deeper into this topic. But also, I, I really do think that it is really challenging, especially in the financial climate that we live in currently. It is undeniable that Christmas has become so commercialised that many people do feel pressure to give gifts, and often this, this pressure comes from the person receiving the gift, from one another, from the ways that we do gift giving. It's so easy for our selfish inward focus to dictate the way that we go about doing Christmas giving, Christmas presents. One of the really interesting aspects for me of that video is Martin talking about the origin of gift giving. How it started as a way of looking after those with less money. A way of redistributing wealth. 
a way of supporting younger people, a real outward-focused approach to gift giving. Not what can I receive, but how can I help those around me? Gift giving at Christmas started as a symbol, as a reminder of the gifts that were given to Jesus by the wise men or the kings or the magi or whatever you want to call them. And the story of these kings play this big role in the nativity stories happening around schools around the country right now. Even though this event happened days, possibly weeks, possibly months after the birth of Jesus, we scoop it into the main story because this was a significant moment. The gifts that were given, the significance of the gifts and the purpose behind the gifts, what they say about Jesus is significant in this moment. And in Matthew 2, we read of the journey that these kings undertook and their determination to give these gifts to Jesus. It says this, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem, uh, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they come And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they'd opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So this is the story of how the first Christmas presents that were ever given came to pass. The wise men gave Jesus these first ever Christmas presents. And I think when we look at this story, there are a few things that are going on where the wise men model giving brilliantly. And there are a few few things that I think we can learn from, that if we model our giving on their giving, we'll start to move towards a more authentic, outward-facing approach 
to presence this Christmas. The wise men model three things that I just want to point out quickly. They model three things about giving. Firstly, their giving is joyful. When they saw the star, it says they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. The wise men had gone on a big old journey, a long journey to find Jesus in order that they would be able to praise him and give these gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh to him. And they knew that if they were to find Jesus, it would mean that these expensive gifts that they had for him would no longer be in their possession. They would lose out on these expensive gifts as they give them to Jesus. Yet, they travelled over 400 miles by either donkey or by foot. It would have taken them over three weeks to get to Jesus to present these gifts to him. They were determined to bring him the gifts. It was their driving force on their long journey. It was their reason for sacrificing their time, their motivation when they were tired on this trek. And it says that when they saw the star that showed where Jesus was, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was giving a gift of gold, I wouldn't mind too much if I never saw that star. Because if I didn't see that star, that means I wouldn't find Jesus, which means I wouldn't have to give over this gold. I wouldn't have to give this possession, this valuable possession, if I could never find him. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to keep the gold. I never found him. But the excitement to see Jesus and to give him these gifts, give that of what uh, what was great worth to Jesus was their motivation to keep going. And when they saw that star, when they knew where Jesus was, when they knew they were able to give these gifts to him, they celebrated. They had exceedingly great joy. What does it look like for our giving to be truly joyful this Christmas. To seek joy from the things that we can give to others. Seek joy from the smile on the face of the recipient. To say goodbye to obligation giving or presence and choose joyful giving and presence. Secondly, their giving was meaningful. The gifts that they gave to Jesus, gold, frankincense and myrrh, were wrapped up in great meaning. These these, uh, trio of gifts were actually gifts that were historically given to kings and to rulers when they were born. So many scholars believe that they were given to Jesus as a recognition of his authority and his kingship. Gold, the first gift, often given just as a valuable item to show the worth, the value of Jesus. Frankincense, a perfume or an incense that was often 
in the Old Testament, it was often burned as an offering to God. So as they give this gift to Jesus, they're making that link. They are making that link between the offering to God in the Old Testament and giving that same offering to Jesus at his birth. They're recognizing the deity of Jesus. And then myrrh, this is a slightly odd gift to give someone. It, myrrh is most notably used in this time as a perfume to embalm a corpse. And maybe it was given to Jesus to represent why he came. That his life may lead to this moment of death and resurrection. That even at his birth, this gift is given to signify what was to come. These gifts were wrapped up in meaning. It's so easy in our consumerist society for our presence, our giving of presence, to become lifeless, meaningless, and stale. For Christmas presents to become thing swapping, you buy me this and I'll buy you that, sending a link rather than searching for meaning. And I think that the reality is the best presents we receive, certainly in my case, are the ones that are full of meaning, love, time, of genuine thought and care. Maybe we need to release other people from buying that thing for us. Maybe we need to give freedom for presence to be genuinely about thought and not just something that we say. It's the thought that matters. Do we really mean that when we say it? And thirdly, the wise men model selfless giving. When I look at the way society has managed to lose sight on the selfless nature of presence, it really saddens me, genuinely saddens me. So often, as I've mentioned already, we can give out of selfishness. And that, that feels like a bit of an oxymoron, really, doesn't it? Selfish giving. But the reality is, it is so easy to fall into the trap of selfish giving. Maybe it's giving in order to receive. I remember as a teenager going to church on Christmas Day, and I had a close friend that we'd always, every year, we'd always get each other a present. But as we got slightly older, we became less and less close as mates. So there was one year where I was thinking, do I get him a present this year? So I get a present and I say to my mum, can you keep it in your handbag? I don't want to get that present out unless he's got a present for me. And I have to be totally honest with you, It wasn't even about receiving a present in that moment. I didn't want the awkwardness of giving a present and him having nothing to give me. I didn't really want that awkwardness to take place. But actually, what absolute rubbish that is. How have we got ourselves to a point where it feels awkward to give if you're not receiving? 
What absolute rubbish. Gift giving was never meant to be motivated by gift receiving. And equally, another way we can sometimes be selfish in our, in our gift giving is trying to better one another. Maybe it's trying to better your spouse or a family member, giving a gift in order to win the prize of the best gift giver. Our attention, even in giving these, gift com- giving these gifts, comes back on ourselves. An inward approach, a me-centred approach, a selfish approach to giving presents to others. But in this story, we see the magi or the kings or the wise men or whatever you want to call them, they give to Jesus without any expectation of receiving from him. They travelled with these gifts over 400 miles not to receive praise for how good they are at gift giving. They've travelled 400 miles not to give and receive a great gift, but simply to show their love for him and their joy in him. No expectations of anything in return, just genuine joy in the act of gift giving. John Piper describes it as the intensifiers for Christ himself, not about seeking anything, but about truly giving. And as we give gifts to people, as happens around this time every year, as we give gifts to people around us, we remember that Christmas is all about gifts. It is all about gifts. In fact, it's all about one gift, the gift that God gave us, the gift of Jesus. And the gift of Jesus is the most unfair exchange of presents that has ever happened. God gives us the gift of friendship, of forgiveness, of love, And this gift comes wrapped up in a baby, the person of Jesus, God's own son and most precious possession. God gives everything to us. That through Jesus's life of love, through his death, through his resurrection, he would rewrite our story. He would allow us to have genuine relationship with our creator That is the gift we receive. And he says from you, he says to us, I will take something from you. I will give you this gift and I will take something from you. I will take your sin, your burdens, your worries. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, cast your burden on me and I shall sustain you. He says, cast all your anxiety on me because I care for you. 
So Christmas is all about an exchange of gifts. Christmas is all about an exchange of gifts. It just so happens that that exchange makes no sense. The exchange is not of equal value. A gift given to us, the person of Jesus, of infinite value. And in return, he takes the things that destroy. He takes our burdens. He takes our sin. He takes our pain. An exchange that doesn't make sense. Christmas is surrounded by gifts. The gift of Jesus, the gifts given by the wise men to Jesus of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And the gifts that we give and receive to our closest and dearest on Christmas Day. And it can be so easy for our gift giving to become selfish meaningless and joyless. My challenge this morning is as we go about preparing for Christmas, looking for present ideas, heading off to the shops, that we would challenge ourselves to say no to inward-focused presence. Challenge ourselves to be outward, other-focused that we would bring meaning back to giving, that we would be selfless in the expectations we put on other people, that we would be able to give and receive joyfully. And maybe that means you need to have some conversations with family members or friends, set expectations, ensure that there is no obligation or pressure to give or spend money, Maybe it means choosing to give differently rather than spending money on tat. Giving the cost that you would often spend on the tat to charity or buy an all wrapped up gift for that money. Or maybe it simply means bringing hope to those around you. Giving that which costs nothing yet has much greater value giving your time to those who are lonely, your help and support to those unable to help or support themselves, bringing a smile on the faces of those who might struggle this Christmas. As the band come up, I just want to leave with one question for us to reflect on. And the question is this. What does it look like for you to reflect Joyful giving, meaningful giving, and selfless giving this Christmas. What does it mean for you to reflect joyful giving, meaningful giving, and selfless giving this Christmas? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what we celebrate at Christmas time. Thank you so much for the most unfair exchange of presents that has ever taken place. 
God, that your love for us is of infinite value, that you would give your son for us. And Lord, you take our burdens, you take our pain, you take our anxiety. And God, I just pray as we go about preparing for Christmas, I pray that you help us to be completely outward focused. That there wouldn't be a hint of selfishness in our present buying, our gift giving, our time of Christmas, the expectations we put on others. God, show us what it means to truly give to those around us. Help us to reflect the presence uh, given to Jesus by the wise men, the joyful, the meaningful, and the selfless giving. And fix our eyes, God, on the greatest gifts exchange that has ever taken place. Thank you that you are so good. And that you are with us in every aspect of life. And we pray that as we go about our preparations for Christmas, we will keep you front and center. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.